today on It's Time. The Bible says also in the last days, they'll say what is evil is good and good is evil. Do you see that on television? I hear the calling, it's time. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, he's going verse by verse through the book of Revelation. So turn there in your Bible as we join Pastor Mike. We've been going through the book of Revelation. This book was not meant to scare Christians. It was meant to tell the world what God was going to do with the nation of Israel, that there's going to be a major judgment coming on this earth. Well, that's what the rest of the book is about. We're getting up here. The uh, trumpet judgments are completed. Again, two-thirds of the world's population is gone. Chapter 14 Now we find the 144,000. Now here it says, And I looked, behold, the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, with him 144,000, having his Father's name written on their foreheads. Very important, because Revelation chapter 13, this is where the Antichrist puts the mark of the beast on the hand or on the forehead of those on the earth. And the Bible says if you take that mark, you are damned forever. Very important, never take the mark. In fact, what I always tell my friends, people that don't want to accept Christ, I go, well, you can reject what I say, but remember this, don't ever take the mark because that is the end of the line for you, taking the mark. Never do that. But here we find the genuine mark on the 144,000. Again, 12,000 Jews, from the 12 tribes of Israel. They're not Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm sorry. They'll come and they'll tell you that, well, there's only 144,000 people going to heaven and the rest just inherit the earth. I don't know where they come up with this junk, but it is not in the Bible. Again, the Bible's pretty clear. And in fact, the book of Revelation, to me, is not hard to understand if you know the rest of the Bible. The, The Bible does the commentary on the book of Revelation not somebody's personal dream or interpretation or something like that. Now, why is that important? Revelation chapter 22 says, if you add to this book, God will add to you the plagues. If you take out of this book, God will take your name out of the book of life. Pretty simple. So basically, I have no trouble just reading it for what it says. But when somebody comes along and starts twisting God's word, now, if it's a metaphor... Yeah, I understand that. I've never seen a beast with seven heads and ten horns. Sorry, haven't seen one. Been to, muse- <laughs> been to museums, been to zoos. Never saw one. Gee, Mom, what's that? Well, you know it's a metaphor if it's that. But when the Bible says every living thing in the sea dies, and we're going to get into that when we get into chapter 15, I believe every living thing in the sea dies. God's not going to judge me for telling people what his word says. God will judge those people, I believe, that say, when it says every living thing in the sea dies, well, that really doesn't mean what it says. Whoa, watch out. Step aside, lightning 
fire from heaven might be falling, okay? So you want to be careful with that, okay. I look and behold a lamb standing at Mount Zion, with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their forehead. We know these are the 144,000 Jews. The Bible tells us the church is gone. God is never without a witness. And so the 144,000 take that place of evangelists. It says they're, they're servants of God. And they're doing God's work here on this earth. The second thing we have, you have the two witnesses in the streets of Jerusalem warning the world as well. And you have angels flying through the midst of heaven, warning people not to take the mark of the beast. Okay, so God's never without a witness. But here it says, written on their foreheads, and we find them where? It says that they heard a voice from heaven, and the voice of many waters, the voice of loud thunder, and I heard the sound of the harpists playing their harps. Now, again, we find the 144,000 Again, where are they? It says, I looked, Lamb standing at Mount Zion with him were the 144. So they're in heaven. God cuts, catches them up, I guess. But God's never without a witness. And we're going to read on here who that witness will be replaced by. Now, I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters. By the way, I like this. If you don't know what the voice of many waters is like, you don't have to go far to find it especially in Southern Idaho, especially on the street we live on. Go down to the waterfall. There's a, there's a lookout down there. You can walk down the stairs, and you can listen to the water coming over the waterfall. And you just say, it almost sounds like applause, if you know what I'm talking about there. And you go down, and you just listen to the water, the sound of many waters. I believe that's exactly what it's talking about. Loud and it says, I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. Now, this is one of the weird places where it appears that the tribulation saints are given a harp. And this is what it says. And they sang it were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures, the elders, and one who could learn that song. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. Now, it's interesting that these... 144,000 sing a song. This is what they do. Uh, they're there. They're given a harp. And it says, these are the ones who were not defiled with women. By the way, the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses always tell you that their original 144,000 um, uh, were the 144,000. But it very clearly says they were not defiled by women. They were virgins and they were Jews from the 12 tribes of Israel. Yet they blow all that off and say, no, it's our, our group of people. First of all, let me tell you something. I don't want to be one of the 144,000 because that means you're in the tribulation period. I'd much rather have the heavenly view, Revelation chapter 5, the church in heaven, okay? Second of all, we find here, they were redeemed from among men being the first fruits to God and to the Lamb. The first fruits simply means they were the first, but there was more to come. Then we find it says, and in their mouth was found no guile. Uh, in other words, no deceit or falsehood or anything like that. And they were without fault before the throne of God. And then I saw another angel flying through the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. By the way, Jesus said the gospel would be preached to the whole world. Then the end would come. I believe this verse is probably the fulfillment of that particular thing that Jesus said. Notice 
it says there are angels flying through the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach. God is never without a witness. Now, why is that important? Because you may be the witness for God where you work. You may be the witness for God in your family. You may be the witness of God for your friends. God's never without a witness, and you may very well be that person. When the 144,000, first the church was the witness, they're gone. Then the 144,000 come along, they're gone. We find them again in heaven, first part of chapter 14 that we're reading here today. And then we find the angels now preaching the gospel. Saying with a loud voice, fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And his worship, and worship him who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. And by the way, God says he made it. He did not evolve. It wasn't a big bang cosmic sludge kind of thing going on. It's very clear. Verse 7, God made it all. Verse 8, another angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen, fallen, that great city, because she made all the nations to drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into a cup of his indignation, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever. This idea, friends, that these cults teach that say, when you die, it's annihilation. Jehovah's Witnesses teach that, several other groups. And I don't mind, I don't mind mentioning by name, because by the way, they come to your house trying to talk you out of your relationship with Jesus Christ. They come and tell you that Jesus is not God's only son, that he is Michael the archangel. Now, I, I, get a, I get a little torqued with that, because they're deliberately distorting God's word. They use the New World Version, which they came up with themselves. It is not authentic. It is not an accurate Greek translation of the Bible. It is just something they do. If you're Jehovah's Witness listening on the radio or on the internet or you're here today, I don't wish to offend you. I'm trying to tell you the truth. And I can't sit there as a pastor and say, be warm, be filled. Just keep on going to hell, buddy. Nope, can't do it. Sorry. You want to tell people the truth. Do you know what truth hurts? That's one of the great problems that we have correcting children. Honey, you can't stand on top of the car and scream. No, you can't do that. No, why? Because I love you. And when you get older, you're not going to be able to do that either. And I'll correct you with love, junior, sister. But the police department won't. The bully on the playground won't. And so that's why we have to tell people the truth. I would rather have some, told somebody the truth and have them get mad at me and never speak to me again than not tell them and have them go in a, a, into an internal hell saying, I never knew. See, that's why it's important you know. I've shared this story so many times before. I remember when I was about 18 years old, some kids, came, uh, some people came to my door. They were nicely dressed and they were younger, but they began to tell me all kinds of weird things. You know, have you heard the good news and all these kinds of things? And I thought, oh, they're Christians. But the more they talked, the more I realized they weren't speaking of the Bible. They were having some other doctrine. They used the same words as we know in Christianity, but with completely different definitions. And I knew that what they were saying was wrong, but I could not defend myself. You ever had that happen? Ever shared your faith? 
and, and you feel embarrassed because you don't know what to say. You know what they're saying is wrong, but you don't know how to fix it. Now, that's one of the reasons why I really decided to really study the Bible. And the more I studied, the more I realized that there's really no excuse for what these people do to God's Word. And the idea of coming along and saying, well, hell is not really a real place. It's just a fig newton of your imperial margarine. It's just a figment of your imagination. Uh, it, it, it's annihilation. Uh, it's, um, uh, you know, uh, it, it's, it's a beautiful place. Mormons will tell you that. I, I, I look at this and I, I realize that God's word is true. And when it says, again, as we look at this, they'll be tormented, verse 10, with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. That doesn't sound like annihilation to me, friends. Go to the book of Jude, and it says those who were practicing some, such things, they'll be tormented forever. That is not soul sleep. Jesus spoke 11 times about hell in the New Testament, in the Gospels. And the thing is, if it was annihilation, why did Jesus give up all the worship of heaven to come down and be treated in a less than a human standpoint, pulling out his beard after all the great things that he did, blindfold him, beat him, crucified him, which is the worst, most painful death in the world, just to save somebody from annihilation? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think there's something a whole lot more at stake here. I don't know all that hell is, but I know it's a place of torment forever and ever. You know, one of the things that we're going to find as you continue to read through the book of Revelation, it says, true and righteous are your judgments. People say, well, how could a God of love allow these judgments to come upon the world? Maybe that's what God thinks is sin. Can you ever think about that? Pretty serious. So that tells me that I need to understand what God says is good versus what the world says is good. Because the Bible says that there's a way that seems right into a man, but in the end there's destruction. And the Bible says also in the last days, they'll say what is evil is good and good is evil. Do you see that on television? Do you see uh, uh, globally what is evil is good and good is evil? I think anybody can understand that even as Paul says, Romans chapter 1, even nature teaches you certain lifestyles are wrong. No? It's right there. I didn't write it. He did. And it says, here is the patience of the saints. Those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus Christ. By the way, they came to Jesus and they said, what is the greatest commandment? Because there's a lot of people who are Judaizers that try to even get Christians to go back under the law again with Saturday worship, with certain dietary laws, all these kinds of things. Where, where do we, they came to Jesus. What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, to love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit. And then because God always does more than we ask, he says, and the second is likened unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. But then Jesus said something that rocked the Jewish world. He really rocked the Torah. He said, upon these two hang all the law and the prophets. 
In other words, everything that the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments were about, was to love God and love your fellow men. Upon these two hang all along the prophets. When you read in the New Testament where Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, people go, get back under the law again. No, 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 no. That's not Jesus' commandments. Jesus' commandments was to love God and love your fellow man. Doesn't that make it a lot easier? Well, you take all those uh, laws of the Old Testament and all the, the laws that they had come up with and the interpretation of the laws, and then it all simplifies down to two. Love God, love your fellow man. Wow. You know what that speaks of, don't you? That speaks of a relationship, not a religion. God, I love you, and you, all you want me to do is love people. So in other words, my hands are your hands. My heart is your heart. My, my resources are yours. I, I want to be about your business. See, that's what God's saying. But what man does with the laws, the Ten Commandments and all the Old Testament laws, he tries to justify himself with that. I don't do this. I don't do that. I do this. I don't do that. Look how good I am. God goes, I'm not impressed. Because you can do all those things, but like he said concerning the Pharisees, don't, don't do as they, they do. What they say is okay, but what they're doing is wrong. In other words, you can have a form of godliness by keeping the laws, but your heart can be far from God. So the thing is, do you want a legal relationship with God or do you want a love relationship with God? Do you want a personal relationship with God or do you want to approach God through legalism? Look what I did, look what I didn't do. Look, you know, Hey, a real true child of God where we can truly say, as Jesus said, our Father which art in heaven. Your kids don't come to you saying, look at how good I am. They just go, Daddy. Oh, if we can always remember that. We'll be so much freer. He says, the patience of the saints. Keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus Christ. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works will follow them. By the way, that's a really important thing. Their works follow them. Do you realize that when you're dead, mom, dad, the influence that you had in your children's life will live on? Do you realize also, worldly person, that you've never received Christ as your Savior? Do you realize your works are following you too? Think of the lie that uh, Darwin came up with of evolution. No facts for it. DNA disproves it. There are no transitory or, or um, um, transitional life forms. Transitory means momentary life forms that would move you from a dog to a cat. That's transitory. Uh, um, and and um, we have to realize that there are no living examples. There are no dead examples. No fossils, nothing living. You always hear about, hear, hear about the, the, the green people. This year, over 100 species will go extinct all because of man's carbon footprint. What's your big problem, dude? Hey, if you're truly an evolutionist, there's going to be a whole bunch of new species next year anyway. So how can you really have them going extinct when according to what you preach, evolution, there's going to be a whole bunch of new ones? So there's not too much to get on about, is there really? 
Because you see, evolution is still going on. We're trading up. And by the way, where are the people, where are the monkeys that are trading up? You know, it's not there. Oh, and they get all just queasy in the knees. We found a tooth of the missing link. And it's on newspapers around the world. And then they find out it was a tooth from an extinct pig. True. Or here's the missing link. And it shows this kind of thing. See, he, that's right when he first started standing up, only to find out it was a man with osteoporosis. He, he, he was just a hunched over old man. Kind of wrecks our whole story. There should be billions and billions of fossils of transitional life forms. They're not there. There should be billions of people trading up right now. Hey, I can see you're not quite a human being yet. Now, I got to admit, I got to admit, playgrounds of America where monkeys become humans. I don't know. But anyway, you, you see this go on and you go, my goodness, what in the world are you believing? Well, the truth is you tell people the truth, they won't believe you. This is one of the great problems that they have. Your works follow you. Imagine again, Darwin. And then those that know it's a lie, like professors and teachers in school, I believe there's going to be a judgment on those for doing that. Here's why. Because they know and teach a lie. Talking people out of their faith. Yes, your works follow. Yeah, you might die, but the lie that you started whether you're a cult leader, a Darwin, or somebody else-ism that's out there, I believe those works follow you. So you can either have goodness and mercy, as David said, shall follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Or I believe you can have wickedness and darkness and things that are perverse follow you as well. That's why it's important to get saved. Because not only does God forgive you of your sins, but he lays an ax to those things that would go on beyond the grave influence people the wrong way. It's important. Thanks for joining us on It's Time, as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening, and tune in next time for It's Time.